Let's welcome now to the Vin News Podcast, Elliot Resnick, former editor-in-chief of the Jewish Press, the editor of OneVersus450.com, the host of the Elliot Resnick Show. And he's the author or editor of five books, including Movers and Shakers, Volume 3, On American Glory, Jewish Destiny, Rare Integrity, and more. In 2016, this is the coolest on the resume, Elliot owned, though the Jewish Press is pretty cool too, owned JewsForDonaldTrump.com. So Elliot, pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Absolutely, my pleasure. And uh, let's jump in. The a big topic that we're going to focus on is Trump, but not just Trump. It's the Jewish support of Trump, or specifically support in amongst the religious Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish community, which has, at least for years, for a, quite a long time, uh, was very, very strong, and for good reason, uh, among many secular Jews, as you'd expect. Trump is not quite as popular. So tell me your thoughts just in general. When I ask you, about Trump's popularity among the Orthodox Jewish community, what it was, what it is, what are your thoughts? Before I answer your question, I'd like to remind you, though, how little support Trump had among from Jewish leaders in the 2016 campaign. I think he always had support among the grassroots, but among the leaders, I'll remind you that in December 2015, the OU put out a public statement condemning Trump for proposing that we ban Muslims from entering this country. They said this somehow violates the laws of discrimination. Now, of course, you and I both know that the that life is the greatest value in Judaism. So we're allowed to break the laws of Shabbos to save a life. But apparently we're not, not allowed to break the laws of tolerance and discrimination to save a life, according to the OU. And that's actually when I bought the domain name JewsForDonaldTrump.com. December 2015, six months into the, into the campaign, which just goes to show you how little support, again, he had among activist Jews, that that domain name was still available so far into the campaign. Right. But um, to answer the question about from Jews and support of Trump, I think they like him. We like him because in so many ways he thinks and talks like we do. I'll give a few examples. Let me start with something that I think a lot of people don't know. Donald Trump was the first president in 150 years not to own a pet. Not since Andrew Johnson, that's the 1860s, was there a president who didn't own a pet in the White House. And why do I mention that? I think because, again, it shows you that Trump is very tactless oriented. You know, there are some people who think the point of life is to relax on on a beach with with a tequila. And Trump actually once said if you force him to go on a beach for a two-week vacation without a phone, he said my health would suffer. So in many ways, Trump has, like, Jewish energy, I would say. So that's number one. Number two, um, many of Trump's values are just traditional values. Now, I know people will say that's ridiculous because he hasn't always acted moral his whole life. But the fact is, he's always admitted he has a problem. And as a general rule, he, he defends traditional marriage. He defends traditional values. So his values and our values also are, many, are, are in many ways the same. Another thing I'll say, he speaks about evil, good, good and bad, in ways that are very plain and very direct, and which resonate with us from Jews. Because the Torah speaks very plainly about good and evil and about eradicating evil. So when Trump, let's say, talks about torturing terrorists, to a liberal, that sounds crazy and bizarre and cruel. To us, that sounds normal because we have commandments to annihilate the Malik, to annihilate the seven nations. We have Levi and Shimon killing all the men of Shechem. We have the Jews cutting off the toe, the big toes and thumbs of, of Doni Vesek when they conquered the land of Israel and their Albag rights. Why do they do that? They did that because they want to scare the other kings. So, I mean, these kind of things are not foreign to us. This is very natural and normal to us, and it resonates with us. And another one more thing maybe I'll say is that Trump in many ways – it's going to sound funny almost to some people, but I think he represents MS. Now, I, I'm not saying he never lies. I'm not saying he never exaggerates. He exaggerates all the time. But he speaks plainly. 
you know, if you, if you spend many years in academia or in politics, um, you learn the art of stringing together many words without actually ever saying anything. Trump is not like that. He speaks plainly. He speaks to the point. We like that. That's the way we speak. It's the way you and I speak. And it just resonates with us. And I, that's, I just think from Jews love that. Oh, absolutely. And you gave us a lot to unpack. And on that last point, uh, as far as him being a, a plain speaking, and like you said, he gets rid of the fluff, cuts right through it, and talks the way almost a common man talks. It is very appealing. And that's Twitter. I always felt that, and I don't believe that, unlike Biden and Obama and Kamala, I don't believe that he has like a team of people sitting there composing his tweets. I believe that every single tweet that he puts out is written by himself. You could tell. They, they, you can't fake it. it. It's so clearly Trump's voice. But uh, it, those are those are powerful tweets, unlike, you know, Biden, who it's literally like just these fluffy, you know, it seems like it was written by a college professor. Trump's ple- tweets are very plain spoken, at least formally when he used to tweet. Now it's on Truth Social. And uh, and I think that's what makes him so powerful. I want to get back to a couple of the other points here. I jotted down the pet thing. OK, that's great little tidbit. I was I had no, I never even thought about it. I had no idea. Yes. Now that you mentioned it, I've, I know all these uh Presidents always seem to have like a dog or something, and and the white. I believe that Biden got bitten by his dog, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that's I really right. uh, interesting point. Trump is way too busy and way too thoughtless, Dick, to, to you know to be sitting there, you know, in in the backyard throwing a frisbee at at a dog. And uh, and what's interesting, a couple more points here, just because while you brought it up, uh, like you said about the travel ban and about tolerance, uh, in defense of, and, and I'm not defending. I you know I, I I got behind Trump pretty early on when I started to recognize that you know. Is he really conservative? We had no track record. I started to realize that he was and uh, and very pro-Israel, very pro-Jewish. But uh, a lot of people came on the bandwagon very late because he was never you know, in government before. So they weren't quite certain you know, whether his policies would benefit us or not. But I agree with you when it came to issues like the travel ban. There's this very misguided notion that, like you said, tolerance equals compassion. That like if I'm intolerant, if there are bad guys out there and we want to ban the bad guys or we want to crack down on the bad guys, like the world has gone a little bit nuts or very nuts. And uh, suddenly that's a bad thing. Where's your compassion? It's the exact opposite. You know, misplaced Rachmanus is, is really, is really auxorious. And, uh, and, and, and you're right. You know, that is a very um, Torah type of value. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. So I don't have anything terribly intelligent uh, to add. That's fine. I mean, Mir <laughs> is just like quoting the Ramban, Although I found out this, is, it's not clear if the Ramban wrote this, maybe it's a different gear cell, but the Ramban apparently once wrote something to the following, that because of the justice of fools, all, no, because of the, sorry, because of the compassion of fools, all justice is lost. So, yeah. And I also wanted to mention, I have a bunch of other questions to ask you, but uh, just sticking to what you had brought up, the uh, Trump's, uh, you know, wording, verbiage, vocabulary, being the plain spoken uh, approach where you know the, the the sentences that Trump strings together they don't sound like a typical politician they don't sound academic there was this uh, study that came out I laughed at it because the study came out um, early on in Trump's presidency they were trying to like demean him and it was like uh, the different uh, speaking levels different age level of speaking of different presidents they had like Obama Jimmy Carter Reagan and it was like I think Obama was one of the highest because. You know, he's got that very academic approach. So he spoke like on a, I don't know, I'm going to say seventh or eighth. None of them were exactly college level, but but Obama, Clinton, you know, the, the academics, they were up high. And Trump was like on a fifth grade level, which is one of the lower ones. And whoever put this out, Washington Post, or I don't remember which which paper, was mocking it and was making fun of it. I'm laughing. 
here you have the man who you know was one of the most successful marketers, branding people. He had a very, very uh, popular television show. And Trump, his, you know, his, he's a wizard at, at marketing. And what's interesting is in marketing school, they teach you to speak at a fifth grade level. And, and, and the reason is not because you're only speaking to fifth graders, not because you're only speaking to you know, lower level people. You're speaking to every level, but, on a, but, but the average person, you know, when, when you're trying to get me to pay attention to something that I have no interest in or that I'm not really, you know, that I'm only kind of half paying attention to, if you start uh, speaking on this high academic level, you're just going to like uh, people's eyes glaze over. So actually, that, that is actually part of Trump's, I think, uh, wisdom and, 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 and part of his strength is that he that he talks on a level that kind of the brain just just naturally gravitates to. Right. And I think as a general rule, you'll find that the more liberal person is, the less clear his writing and speaking is. People think it's like, you know, a mark of sophistication to have these fancy words and be unclear. Like, this is a typical political thing to say. Mistakes were made. It sounds fancy. But what, what do you do there? It's, it's passive voice. Mistakes were made. There's no actor there. Not I made a mistake or the Democratic right. Party made a mistake. Mistakes were made. So, again, it sounds so more distant. but And therefore, because only people on the ground, regular normal people, don't speak in a distant fashion. They speak in a very direct fashion. So, therefore, you sound more educated. But at the same time, you're also go, going away more from the actual facts of life. So it's actually not a chasaron to speak plainly. It's actually a mala to speak, a mala to speak um, plainly. And yeah, great point. Now, uh, then we get to from 2016 to uh, President Trump as president, and then we discover his record. And in my opinion, he's the best friend that the Jews had ever in the White House. When you look at his track record, nobody even comes close, especially after a bunch of presidents, both Republican and Democrat, who promised and pledged to move the embassy in accordance with congressional law and then broke their promise. Uh, Trump, he moved the embassy under under enormous pressure not to from 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 all sides, even Republicans. He defunded the Palestinians, of course, the Abraham Accords. He pardoned Shalom Rabashkin. Uh, he did immense damage to Iran, to Iran's economy, as well as, you know, uh, of course, um, the, you know, the uh, the assassination and everything else. And in my opinion, if if a Democrat president had done even like a fraction of what Trump did for the Jews, it, it, he would get raved about. He would get so much recognition, so much support. He'd win, he'd win a Nobel Peace Prize. Any Democrat president uh, who, who did the Abraham Accords with even between Israel and even just one country, Nobel Peace Prize automatic. And and Trump gets zero credit. You know, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Well, as you know, unfortunately, most Jews are liberals first and Jews second. And even among from Jews, I think we suffer from, I think Mayor Kahana once called this a respectability problem. We want to be respectable. And even many from Jewish leaders want to be respectable. They want the New York Times to say something nice about them. If the New York Post says something nice about them, that doesn't mean anything to them. If the New York Times says something nice to them, well, that's something. So the New York Times hates Trump. The liberal elite hate Trump. So therefore, even when Trump does good things for the firm community, from Jewish leaders don't run to embrace him. They keep a little bit of a distance. And of course, I don't think this is a very Jewish thing to do. Um, and I think we have to really go away, away from this. Um, I think Andrew Breitbart said something like, you know, we have to learn not to run away from the fire, but to run towards it. I think we have to embrace our status. I mean, Avram Avinu was against the whole world. He wasn't, you know, with the... Uh, 
the uh, in sync with the culture of his time. It was Avraham of you know Avraham Ivri. Ivri's on the other side, so the, the whole world was on one side, and he was on the other side. It's very nice when we're in sync with the culture, but sometimes we're not in sync. And the Torah was given actually to a world that it wasn't in sync with. Um, you know, LGBT was not uh, condemned in the near, ancient Near East when the Torah was given. It was actually, in many cases, celebrated. So the Torah was not given to a world so that all, all its values should automatically line up with the world's values. We are supposed to be proud of the fact that we are Mamachas Kohanim and Kadosh. Sometimes our values are very different than the world's values, and our mission is to spread those values and not to be ashamed of it, not to be embarrassed by it, but to embrace it. And yes, you're right. Donald Trump has not gotten the respect he deserves by... Jews and not even by from Jews. I think on the street, if you speak to from Jews on the street, a lot of them, most of them love Trump. But in terms of their leaders, I think they still want to hang around certain people. These same people that have no problem with, you know, praising or cozying up to Andrew Cuomo or, you know, or Bill de Blasio, people who are liars, people who are immoral. That's okay, though, because these people are respectable. And Donald Trump is not respectable, so they keep a distance. And my only hope and my only, um, and I take solace in is that I think the younger group of Republicans and the young, younger group of from Jews, I think are a little bit more fearless. And I think hopefully the next crop is not going to be as craven as the current crop that we have today. Really interesting. And I look, I sense, you know, a hint of cynicism, but cynicism, which I completely understand when you like you're, you're, you're so right. When you look at certain leadership or certain, you know, vocal members of the community who, and look, and they're sincere and they're genuine, you know, I think they're gen- they're genuinely trying to help the community. There is it like a very like ancient tradition amongst Jews of, you know, cozying up like whichever czar, whichever evil czar happens to be in charge of that moment is the person that we cozy up to for the sake of survival. So, you know, they're, they're going to make that case that, yeah, you know, I'm hanging out with Hochul or I'm hanging out with uh, Cuomo or all the or, or Anthony Weiner. I don't know. You name the disgraced politician. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, but I'm kind of I'm doing it because the ends justify the means kinds of thing. I certainly understand your frustration. I agree with you that there's something about like the younger generation uh, who they don't care. Like, you know, they, they want, uh, you know, get, show me the person who like actually really cares about us. But but it is frustrating to me here. You have, you know, last year we saw this in New Jersey with with, with Chitterelli and, and Phil Murphy. And we're going on a tangent off of Trump, but it's really the same hammering home the same point. Uh, where literally just a very, very small number of votes separated from Chitterelli from, from Phil Murphy. And, uh, you know, I, I think the the Jewish community, for, for sure, and even the Orthodox community, you know, could have been the difference maker in that race. But like the traditionalism is, come on, it's New Jersey. Look how close it got. Now you have this year literally history repeating itself, where according to some polls, and I, I don't trust these polls for a minute, it, you know, they're, they're certainly slanted to the left. But, uh, you know, Zeldin is like, almost at a dead heat, according to one poll with Governor Hochul. And I would expect like every member of the Orthodox Jewish community to be screaming off the rooftops. Hey, we got to support Zeldin. Obviously, now this week with the secular education guidelines, huge deal. Zeldin has come out. Whatever your whatever your position is on that on that particular issue. Zeldin is the one supporting the yeshivas, the crime issue, the anti-Semitism. I I mean, it's like such a no brainer. But as as you say, it, it, people almost have like a fear. You know, Zeldin's associated with Trump. You could argue in 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 some sense. So maybe that has something to do with it. Like 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 you say, uh, people deep down they love Trump, but like if they're at some fancy dinner, uh, they're afraid to admit it. It's true, and I understand what you're saying. And there are two um, schools of thought about how from Jews should act in Gullis. I personally think that 
where we have an, an ability to influence the culture, we should. Um, but I do get there's another school of thought, which is we should just keep our heads low and just cozy up to whatever leaders are the leaders of the day and not mix in at all. But on that point, the OU did not that did not have to issue that, that statement in December 2015 condemning Trump for the immigration proposal ban against Muslims. That was not about cozying up to the leaders. That was taking an independent public position where they did not have to. I'll give another example. I, Dove Hyken has done a, many, a lot of good work, and maybe I'll even invite him onto my show soon. But the, but he's also done things like this over the over the years to cozy up to leaders where he didn't have to. When George Floyd was killed in Minnesota, Dove Hyken organized a pro-George Floyd rally in Brooklyn. He did not have to. He could have kept silent. This had nothing to do with just supporting your leaders. He wanted to, to, to jump on the bandwagon that was popular in that day. And the bandwagon in that, that, those few weeks was to be on the side of George Floyd because everyone in the country was supposedly on the side of George Floyd. And he took the anti-police position and the cities burned and people died and the police stopped uh, policing as much because now they don't want to get criticized. And Heiken jumped onto that bandwagon. He did not have to. And, but, and I, I was editor of the Jewish press and I have very few regrets in my time at the Jewish press. One of my regrets was I allowed my hand to be twisted by someone at the Jewish press I, I, you could say I didn't have a choice. I don't know if I had a choice or not, but Heiken's rally was on the front page. And not only that, we even had an op-ed that week or a week later condemning white privilege. I am nauseated to this day that I allowed an op-ed into the Jewish press that had the word white privilege in it. But again, my hand was basically twisted. And I was twisted by somebody who, again, wanted to, because all the respectable people, if you want to be educated and respectable and elite, this is what you do. You say, you know what, we're ter- this is what ter- happened to George Floyd is absolutely terrible, and we need to address racism, racism, even though there's basically zero racism in this country against blacks. If anything, blacks are treated much better than whites are. But this is the cause of the day, and we're going to jump on the bandwagon. And this is a very dangerous attitude. I think we have to break this attitude. Very interesting. True confessions by Elliot Resnick. But uh, yeah, I could certainly understand your sentiment. We are, Dove Heiken is actually going to be coming on as a guest very, very shortly on a full disclosure on this uh podcast but uh you know we accept uh you know all uh all points of view and i certainly understand you and look on the george floyd thing th- there is no evidence whatsoever that there was any racism involved i mean it happened to be a white police officer it happened to be a black uh victim a man who was a vicious criminal and a monster uh which doesn't condone you know what happened but that was that was an isolated incident i completely agree with you uh and the the, the word the term white privilege i agree with you it's just a, it's a, a hideous term um, I'm curious on all of, you know, based, and, and I, and by the way, instinctively, it's very fascinating because I have this struggle, what you said before about, uh, you know, kind of this, these two schools of thought of, uh, you know, should we stay low key, lay low and kind of just cozy up to whatever side wins or should we be more influential and a stronger voice? And, uh, and you look at somebody like Ben Shapiro, you know, who, who wears his orthodoxy on his sleeve, whether you agree or disagree with, you know, with everything that he says, uh, you know, he certainly is a believer in, in in influencing and getting his name out there and saying things that are that are highly un, unpopular. And, uh, that, you know, I'm not saying that that comes from some kind of, you know, Masaira or tradition. That's not my point. My point is that uh, I think I think he's doing a lot of good. I think he's, uh, you know, b- b- having a very positive influence uh, on the country and on the younger generation. I am curious what your thoughts are about 2024, you know, putting aside November and the midterms here. Uh, where, the, you know, the Republicans are definitely poised to take over the House, at least. Uh, the question then is going to become, you know, uh, is Trump running in 2024? In my mind, no question Trump is going to run. He's way too competitive. He's uh, he's not going to let uh, 2020 be, you know, kind of his last hurrah. And uh, there's this big debate amongst 
Republicans. I would think Jews have a similar debate internally, but just in general, uh, many people, conservatives, pro 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 uh, pro pro Republican, you know, who who used to be pro Trump, say, I loved him when he was president, but uh, I don't think it's a good idea for him to run in twenty twenty four. I'm curious if you think that's a good idea, and uh, and and vis a vis the Jews. Okay, I just want to quickly say one more thing about the yeah, other yeah. issue, that's which fine. is that I think in a democracy. We do have a mission from Hashem. Um, we're the, the Bechor of Hashem. As Rav Shavshan Rafal Hirsch says, Bechor is the first one. He breaks the first one to break the mother's womb, but he's the first among many. Hashem wants to have many children. And Hashem did give us a mission to spread his values to the world. So if you're living in anti-Semitic Russia or Poland, it's one thing. If you're living in democratic America, I think it's another thing entirely. And I think it's, it is our duty, I think, to spread Hashem's values to the greatest extent possible. As for 2024, I understand that that school of thought First of all, I don't think we really think it's a practical debate because if Trump announces that he's going to run, he's going to win the Republican primary. Hands down. Hands down. So we, <laughs> DeSantis, you know, there are, there are some people who prefer DeSantis, but Trump's going to win. So I'm not really sure where the, where the, what the point of the debate is altogether. The second thing is, um, I don't think now is the time to de-escalate. I think it's the opposite. Now is the time to escalate. If the left hates Trump so much, I think it's just, that should give us more reason to support Trump, not less. I really do. He represents, in many ways, everything the left hates. Someone once wrote a few years ago, I don't remember who, that Trump really represents like 1950s America in a certain way. He rep- represents male power, male energy. You know, he doesn't talk about his feelings. He doesn't apologize. His values are instinctively American. He loves America without apology. He loves, you know, George Patton. He loves Douglas MacArthur. And the yeah. left hates that. Because the left hates that so much, I think all the more reason why we have to up the ante, not lower the ante. Because I think if we lower the ante and we back down, the left gets a certain victory, a certain emotional victory. Uh, I think right now is for us to sort of like, you know, go all, all or broke, to really put all of our chips in and say, no, this is a fight we have to win. If we back down now, we're only going to we're only going to grow weaker and the left is only going to grow stronger. So now is not the time to back down. So however radical the left goes, I think we have to match their fanaticism. I really do. I'm telling you, I, I thought I was hardline, and I get accused of being hardline. I, I feel like Alexandria Casio Cortez compared to you. Wow, this is good. But I respect it a lot. I mean that in a very, very positive way. But wow. Okay, now's the time to escalate even further. All right, the final uh, question. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, I recently heard Jared Kushner, who's been, he's doing, he's been doing the book tour. I mean, we didn't hear, hear a peep out of the man for four years in the White House, which I give him credit. Uh, he, he did very few interviews. He was not into the media. You know, he like kind of did his thing, like save the world, you know, uh, in a very quiet way. And now, I mean, uh, everywhere I look, I see Jared Kushner. But he did have an interview. It was actually with uh, Brian Kilmeade on his radio show. And uh, somehow they brought up uh, Trump's nasty tweets and they brought up, you know, Trump's the, the controversial side of him. And and Jared Kushner said, oh, he said, oh, yeah, people ask me all the time. I love Trump's policies, but can't he just tone it down a little bit? Like, can't he just like lay off of the tweets? And Jared Kushner, he said something, which is something I, I've suspected for quite a long time. He said he never would have been elected president if he didn't have like you can't split up the man. It, it's not a coincidence that every other politician is, you know, scaled down and toned down and low key. And their tweets are like, you know, they have like three like drafts of editors. Look at look over their tweets every time they release a tweet, you know, because they're so careful. And Trump is, Trump is a man who's just got this incredible, incredible passion. So Kushner said you can't have one without the other. Curious your thoughts about that. No, I agree with you. Trump is a package deal. And he's, you know, if he, if he forced himself to be more politically correct, 
he could. And by the way, now when he gives speeches, he reads off teleprompters for like, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the rally. And those rallies are not nearly as interesting as the rallies he did early on in the campaign when he was speaking right. off the cuff. It's true. It just they're, they're not. And I remember once Trump was interviewed on one of these late night show ho- late night late night shows, and he was asked three times about transgenderism. And he tried to give a politically correct answer once, twice. The third time he was asked, he just couldn't take it anymore. So he finally just gave a straight answer because he couldn't stand dis- dissembling. It's not in his nature to dissemble. And I think, I mean, it wasn't an answer I, I even particularly, particularly liked. It's like five or six years ago. It was kind of like an in-between answer. So I didn't even like it. But I appreciated that he was willing to speak plainly, willing to speak the truth, willing to speak what he feels. And people say, you know, he's not presidential. To me, it is much more presidential to be honest and to tell people what you think than to string together a bunch of fancy words that are all designed not to answer the question, which is what politicians do all the time. So yes, I agree with you. Trump is a package deal. He's a little rough around the edges. But to me, that's not, I I don't mind. I don't mind. And I'll be honest, that's actually one of the three reasons I voted for him. Going back all the way to June 2015, I supported him for three reasons. Number one, he loves America, and you can't take that for granted anymore. Number two, he thinks outside the box. And number three, he speaks like a normal person. I was so sick and tired of politicians. I wasn't even really, really, even really following politics anymore. I was so sickened by it. I said to myself, I would love to hear a man like that speak for the next four years. <laughs> Plainly, regular English, normal person. So I agree with you. Trump is a package deal. This is the way Hashem created him. He can't really do very much different. I don't think he can. If he forced himself, he wouldn't sound natural. He would sound stilted. And Hashem gave everyone certain advantages, certain disadvantages. Okay, this is the way he is. It's so true. These politicians, they're just so fake and he's hes so real. I mean, you love him or hate him. Everyone agrees that uh, he is the real deal. Uh, Elliot Resnick, this has been fascinating. You did f- phenomenally. This has just been an amazing, amazing uh, appearance and uh, former editor of the Jewish Press. What are we going to plug? How do we how do we find your your show, The Elliot Resnick Show? So you could just Google The Elliot Resnick Show. I think people, people will particularly like my last two episodes. Um, one is called Cancelled by Ben Shapiro. It's somebody who actually used to work for the Daily Wire and the Federalist, and she was cancelled because she criticized a reporter for being homosexual. And Ben Shapiro told her five times, I need to protect my brand, which is a very strange answer to give if you're Ben Shapiro. But this is, I guess, one of the problems when you become famous and you start getting investors, you have other calculations, and it's hard to remain pure. And I think this must have just gotten to him. And he actually basically fired her. Her name is Denise McAllister. I think people will, will really like that. They'll also really like my latest episode on Martin Luther King, a societal stalker, question mark. A black, Vince Ellison, fascinating guy. Anyways, we can just Google those shows or Google the Elliot Dressing Show. You'll find it. And I think some of them you'll really like, I hope. Yeah, nothing, nothing too controversial. They're just, you know, very basic <laughs> <laughs> I don't like but, middle of the road types. I don't I, I like the tell. types. This stuff is compelling. I'll tell you that. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Elliot Resnick, former editor in chief of the Jewish Press, host of the Elliot Resnick Show, author, editor, and a lot more on the Vin News podcast. Okay. That, yeah, that was. Yeah, it's on his end. All right, we lost you.